And now we hear from God's word from St. John's Gospel, chapter 20, reading from verse 19. Let us listen for the word that fires us this morning. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God grant that more light and truth break forth from his word. Amen. Good morning. It's really good to be back at Brighton Road for the Easter holidays and really great to see you all again and have a chance to come up on stage. Um, and um, hello to those new faces who haven't seen me before. It's really nice to see that the church has been growing while I've been gone, even if it's a bit disconcerting not to know you uh, yet. Okay. Because it's Easter, I want to start by saying the Easter greeting. The Easter greeting is the one where I say, Christ is risen, and you reply, He is risen indeed. But I'd only want you to say he is risen indeed if you really believe it. If it's true, don't just say it nominally. Don't just say it because I've said that's what we're going to do now. If you believe he is risen indeed, say it. Based on the number of hands we saw earlier, this should be nice and enthusiastic. Christ is risen. Oh, that was enthusiastic. Well done. But has it occurred to you what a crazy thing we just said? What a ridiculous thing we believe. Let me rephrase the, Christmas, the Easter story, not the Christmas story, the Easter story. 
in a way that emphasizes what it is we believe as Christians. We believe that there was once a man who died a thorough execution. And when these professional expert executioners had finished killing this man, they checked he was dead. He was definitely dead. They sealed him underground. And for over 24 hours, there was this decomposing corpse. And we believe that he was then seen walking and talking and eating like nothing had happened. Back to life. That's bonkers. It it really is. If we were to open the newspaper tomorrow morning and see that some guys had said that, oh, their friend had been in a car crash, but he was okay again now and he died in the car crash because he was walking around, we'd assume that it was some sort of prank to get in the papers. If a friend, uh, if, if a friend's mum died and they came to you a few days later and go, oh, it's okay, I saw her, she's alive again, you wouldn't be happy for her, you'd be worried about her mental health. We believe a crazy and unbelievable truth. And it goes against all experience we have throughout our lives. We know people and they die and then they stay dead. And we just accumulate more evidence as we go through our life. And this has been the experience of all human history. People, millions upon millions of people have died and stayed dead. It goes against all evidence that humans have ever accumulated to say that once there was an exception to the rule and one person came back. Easter is the time that we proclaim this crazy and unbelievable truth. And we're gathered here today because we've become convinced that a dead man rose. If you're still willing to accept the crazy truth, say it with me again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now when you say it like that, it becomes a bit more obvious why Thomas found it so hard to believe the crazy truth. Let's go through the Easter story again to see where Thomas is coming from. So Jesus is crucified, died, buried. And then after the Sabbath, so they can't do anything. But the next day, the Sunday, some women go to the tomb and discover it's empty. They go back and tell a couple of disciples, Simon Peter and the other one, to go to the tomb and find it's also empty, mysteriously. Where's the body gone? And they all go home, except Mary, who stays at the tomb and meets with Jesus. He's alive. And so she runs and she tells the disciples what she's just seen. Jesus is back alive again. It's it's not clear whether they believe her or not at this point. A few hours later, some of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they bump into someone and they start talking. And it takes them a long time to realize that they're talking to the risen Jesus. And when they realize it, Even though they've just walked all the way to Emmaus, they turn around and run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what's just happened. So second time Jesus has been seen. And then as the disciples are all in that room together, they meet Jesus a third time. Jesus reappears, shows himself, and he's giving them evidence he's alive. Luke records that he eats a bit of fish. John records that he shows them the wounds. And it's me, honestly, not a ghost, physical, it's me. And unfortunately for Thomas, he wasn't there. Have you ever heard everyone talking the next day about something that was really exciting and you wish you'd been there and you you really regret not not being there? This must have been the 
biggest one of those ever for Thomas. You really wish he'd been there. Because then he'd know if it was true or not. Now, it says he didn't believe them. And they must have been determined. How could they not have been? Determined to convince him that this was true. This had really happened. Thomas, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. He's risen. It's all okay. Jesus is back. What do you mean you don't believe us, Thomas? No, we all saw him, all of us. We all saw him. And it wasn't just us. It was the guys who went to Emmaus and it wasn't... What do you mean you don't believe us? No, honestly, Thomas, it it must have been infuriating. He just didn't believe it. But it is a crazy thing to believe, isn't it? He must have been so worried for his friends. He must have... I don't know what he must have thought. I'm a fairly sceptical person. I like to have evidence. If you tell me something that's a bit odd, then I'm going to ask you to back it up with some evidence. But you know what? If 11 of my friends, or or 11 or so friends, were all really insistent that they'd seen something, and they wouldn't give up on it, they they wouldn't let it go, if there were three separate incidences, if I could corroborate the evidence by going and seeing the empty tomb for myself, if they had absolutely no reason to trick me, in fact, it would make a lot more sense if they were telling the truth because this was a stupid lie to make up. You know, I think I'd be persuaded. But Thomas wasn't. He was absolutely incredulous, absolutely certain that he couldn't believe this. He was stubborn and he wouldn't budge. It just didn't seem believable. And then Jesus came back again. After an entire week of trying to persuade Thomas of what they'd seen, Jesus shows up in their midst, appears, and gives Thomas the evidence that he'd asked for. Put your hands in the wounds. Touch my side, Thomas. I'm really here. It's really me. And Thomas falls to his knees in worship. But what I really like about this story, and I I really like Thomas's journey, and, he, and, and how Jesus was willing to show up and give him the evidence that he exactly had asked for. That's awesome. But what I really like about this is that we're in it. I'm going to read the last bit again. So listen for us. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. You see that? We're there. We're the ones who haven't seen Jesus. We weren't there in those days. And yet we have come to believe. Jesus tells us that those who haven't seen him are blessed. And John tells us that his book is written for people like us so that we might read of Jesus when we can't see him. And if you've got your Bible open, you might spot that there's a footnote in verse 31 that says um, that John's either writing so that we might come to believe, or he's writing so that we might continue to believe. Now, Christ is risen. 
Okay, based on that, I'm thinking that we've all come to believe. So we're going to focus on continuing to believe. And the story of Thomas shows us that believing isn't straightforward. I wonder if Thomas continued to be a sceptic later in his life. It really wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he was still human after all. Even after having the most dramatic experiences of God, we can still flounder from time to time and still struggle to have faith. I'm going to back that up with some examples. One is Elijah. Elijah experiences the most amazing things. God works all sorts of powerful miracles with Elijah present. So if anyone should believe in God's power, it's him. And yet we keep finding him running away and hiding and being scared. He finds it really hard to trust God. Without meaning to put myself on a level with Elijah, I'm, I'm similar. I, I've seen God do great things in my life, work wonderful things in other people's lives, and I should then be able to trust him. And some days, my found, my, you know, I stand on a foundation that's utterly solid, and I praise God, and I thank him, and I trust him. And other days, things come along and knock me off that solid foundation. Like the song said, I'm tossed about with many a doubt. Sometimes I just question, God, oh, that, was, that didn't work the way I thought it was. Do you actually know what you're doing? I found a quote from Jeff Lucas, who much more eloquently says the same thing. God has been very kind to me. My life has been filled with his intervention and provision. One would think that doubt would never be a problem. But it's not so. There are the unexpected moments when, for a while, I wonder. Doubt sometimes pounces upon my shoulder for no discernible reason. Am I preaching just to myself, or does this happen to you too? Do you sometimes, let's have another show of hands, do you sometimes have questions and find faith difficult? Thank goodness it's not just me. I think it's because faith isn't just something that you either have or you don't have. It's something that fluctuates and changes. There's a definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if faith is being convinced of the things unseen, then faith is believing that a dead man is alive again, even though you don't know how that works. Faith is trusting that God has you in his hand, even when your life is turned upside down. Faith, Martin Luther says this one, faith is taking the first step, even when you can't see the whole staircase. Faith is about being in the dark, but trusting the things you can't see. So, of course, that's going to be difficult. I remember going up a tower, I don't know how tall it was, in Calgary. um, And there was an observation platform which overhung the rest of the building. And part of the floor was made of glass so that you could walk out on it and see the cars and the streets underneath, distance down, incredibly high up. And I remember being terrified because I couldn't see what was holding me up because it was a glass floor. I was fine with the solid floor, because I could see that. It was just as high off the ground, but I could see that the floor was there. But the glass floor, terrifying. And faith is like that. If you can't see what's holding you up, if you can't see what God's doing, you can't see his plan, 
it's quite hard to trust it sometimes. Faith is always going to be a case of being in slight uncertainty, but having to trust anyway. It's intrinsically tricky. Each morning, we're faced with the decision to trust God or not. And each day, our lives and our situations change, and so the way that our faith is would change as well. Take Thomas again. So Thomas trusted God, but then God let Jesus die. And so his faith was rocked. And then the other disciples said that Jesus was alive. That must have rocked his faith again. And then he met Jesus and his faith again, shaken. Now, our speed bumps of faith might be a bit less dramatic than that. Uh, one that I thought of might be because we've learned something new. Uh, so I'm a, college, I'm a student at a Bible college, and I've really been enjoying quite recently talking to the first years because a lot of them have come into this with, a lot of them are young teenagers, come into quite an immature faith, not really considered bigger issues before. And the first thing that we do is talk about what the sources of the Bible are and begin to dissect it and just things they hadn't considered before. And it's really interesting talking to them now as they begin to piece back together, how do I trust the Bible now that I know all this stuff about how it was written and it's not quite what I thought it was? Um, You don't have to be a Bible college student. Everyone learns new things. We're all learning and developing. We're all moving from an immature faith to a mature faith. And sometimes the journey will be difficult because we'll have to rethink the things that we consider to be central. New issues will come up. New ideas will come up. And, you know, we're never going to fully understand God. And if we can only trust what we understand, then our inability to understand God means we're always going to have a gap that needs to be filled with faith. But it's not just learning and developing that will make our faith wobbly. I I think it's very often the dramatic and emotional things of our lives that will lead to questions. When things don't happen as we expected, we're led to ask, why me? Is God really doing this? Why is he doing it? When things don't work out like we thought they would, we ask, what's the point? When things don't last or don't end up the way we hoped they would, we ask, why did God allow that? My own recent faith struggle, because I I struggle, put my hand up for it. Um, Very recently, my Uncle John committed suicide. And you've heard my testimony, if you've sometimes heard before, my own testimony is that I was saved from suicide by God. And so my faith had been rocked recently by asking, why would God save me and not my uncle? Why do things like that happen to the people we love? Sooner or later, we all face difficult times in our lives. And during those times, we find questions that we've never faced before. And in those questions we might find it harder to trust God because we'll see him less than normal as it gets darker. But God knows that faith is hard for us. That's why the Bible is packed with encouragement to carry on. In Hebrews, it says, you need endurance. Run the race with perseverance. Philippians 3, press on towards the goal and hold fast. Ephesians 6, 
Put on the whole armour of God so that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Colossians 2, continue to live your lives in Jesus Christ, rooted and bound up in him. And here's a longer one, 1 Peter. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The passages like this are all over the Bible because God knows we're going to struggle and that we're going to need to turn to our Bible for encouragement during the dark times. And the passage we read today is one of those. In the story of Thomas's doubt, we see that God doesn't just acknowledge that humans doubt. He meets us when we're having difficulties believing and he offers us blessing. Let's read again that thing that Jesus says. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen, sorry, who have not seen yet have come to believe. Jesus knows that it's difficult for us to have faith. Jesus says that those who believe in the dark are blessed. We say bless quite a lot. Let's make sure we know what blessing means. In the in the Old Testament, A blessing will usually mean prosperity and success. So God turns to humanity and says, be fruitful. It still means that in the New Testament, but they tend to lose the materialistic slant and go for a more spiritual approach. So to be blessed will mean more about having joy, having wholeness. In effect, a blessing means having life in its fullness. And having life in its fullness, being blessed, comes from having a special status with God, a favoured status. It means he looks on us with a nod of fatherly approval. Well done, says God, and he means it fully. I'm pleased of you, proud of you. I know it's hard to have faith right now when you don't see me, when you're in confusion or darkness, when it's been a long time since you heard my voice clearly. But you're holding on. I bless you. So well done for having faith. Well done for continuing to hold on to a godly way of living when you run against the grain. Well done for sticking your head above the parapet, for being different when it matters. Well done for the times you've been bold enough to speak of Jesus and to show God's love to others. Well done for trying to forgive when it's like swallowing gall, for being patient when it's unbearable, for turning the other cheek when all they do is slap that cheek as well. Well done for being willing to be sent, wherever you've been sent to witness in Cambodia or show kindness to your colleagues, wherever you're going to India for a lifetime or image for a few evenings a term. Well done for doing all this when it was hard and dark and uncertain. There's a really simple and lovely prayer in Mark 9:24. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Can we spend a moment just praying that prayer? If you are wobbling in your faith, if you're a little bit lost in the dark and finding it tricky, pray quietly. I believe, help my unbelief. And if you're not struggling right now, remember those around you who are. Let's just pray silently for a moment.
Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.